All right, good morning. So nice to see all of you. I'm Ritzilka, as uh, Tim mentioned earlier. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I am a member of our teaching team, and I am honored to open up God's Word with you this morning as we continue in our series in Acts. So uh, Kyle just read the scripture uh, for us, and if you didn't know, he's my husband. So uh, we've I guess it's a Zilka morning today. But as you heard, we have a little bit of drama in our passage today. All right, we've got some conflict, and some might even describe this as a bit of a scandal. Now, my first reaction when I read this passage, when Tim gave it to me, was, huh, wow, thanks, Tim. (laughs) You keep giving me hard ones. Is that on purpose for some reason? No, it's not that hard. There's a lot for us to pull out of this today. And I think uh, what is so important for us to remember is this is a narrative that we're going to be reading, and it's really setting the stage for what's going to be coming in the book of Acts. And even in spite of my initial, huh, there's a lot for us to learn and pull from the scripture this morning. So I'm going to start with a little recap slash brief overview of where we have been in Acts and then what we're reading through today. So last week we finished uh, Acts chapter 22. We're following his arrest in chapter 21. Paul defends himself to the crowd by talking about his heritage, his religious background, and he describes his encounter with the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now the crowd doesn't care about any of Paul's defenses, and they shout, rid the earth of him, because according to them, He is not fit to live. Wow, ouch. And after this, Paul extends his defense to include the fact that he is a Roman citizen and therefore he has the right to a fair trial under Roman law. Now, the commander wanted to know why Paul was being accused by the Jews. So the next day, he released him and ordered the chief priests and the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Paul was brought before the Sanhedrin, and this is where we pick up our story today, our narrative today. So I'm going to give you, I know we just heard it, but I'm going to give you a Note version of chapter 23. Now some of you youngins in here might be like, what are Notes?" But if you're like me, and you're my age and maybe a little bit older, it may have been how you got through high school English. Anybody else? No? Just me? Okay. All right, but those of you that do not know, Cliff's Notes are basically just a summary of a story. So, back to my Cliff's Notes version. Paul stands before the Sanhedrin, he makes the high priest mad, then he causes a vigorous uh, argument between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and this argument is so violent that Paul is removed and taken back to the barracks, where the following night, he has a vision from the Lord telling him that he will also testify in Rome. So, aka, the Lord is telling him, your life is not going to end here. I have a plan. Now, the scandal begins to deepen because more than 40 fanatical Jews develop a conspiracy to kill Paul. They have taken a vow that they will neither eat nor drink until they have killed him. Now somehow, Paul's nephew hears about this plot, 
And then he tells his uncle and then tells the commander so that Paul would not go back before the Sanhedrin, sparing his life. Now, we've got a lot to unpack in our passage this morning. From Paul mouthing off to the high priest, to a violent outbreak between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to a plot to kill Paul, to a young boy saving his uncle's life. I mean, we could have quite a movie plot here, my friends. But even through all of this, Paul is focused on the mission of advancing the gospel and living out the transforming work of Christ in his life. He is testifying to the Lord's work in his life. Now, hopefully that I've piqued your interest a little bit. Are you ready to dive in and read through our verses this morning? All right, let me pause and pray for us before we open up the word. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to gather together and to open up your word. What an incredible blessing and opportunity it is, Lord, to to gather with one another and to be challenged by the truth of the scriptures. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have for us this morning. Lord God, I pray that you would equip me, that you would use me, that you would give me the words to say. And God, ultimately, you may, may you get all of the glory, because it's not about us. So Father, I ask that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you have for us today. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to begin in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. So I'd invite you to grab your Bibles, follow along with me, and the verses will also be up on the screen. All right, Acts 23, 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Paul begins by declaring that he has done what the Lord has called him to do. He had encountered the living God, Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed forever. If you haven't ever read that story, I encourage you to go back and do so. He had been obedient and would continue to remain obedient until his death. Paul was mission-minded. He had an eternal perspective, and he was not afraid to proclaim and live out the gospel on a daily basis. So I want us to pause for a second here, though, and identify some of the players in our verses today. You may be wondering, who the heck is the Sanhedrin, and why do they matter? All right, so we're going to discuss this and explain it a little bit. The Sanhedrin was the governing Jewish body in Jerusalem over religious matters, and the group consisted of both Pharisees and Sadducees, along with some other important people, which we'll get to them later. So now you might be wondering, well, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and why do they matter? I will explain. They were two groups of religious leaders who were both very legalistic but had some opposing views because they couldn't agree on the interpretation of scripture. So these two groups were educated men. They were both anti-Jesus, but they had differing focuses on the law and differing interpretations of the law that we read about in the Old Testament. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead and also believed in angels and spirits. However, they were far too focused on the religious acts and did not see the true need 
for a heart transformation and surrender to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, most likely because there was no clear basis um, for such doctrine in the Pentateuch, which you might be wondering, well, what's that? That is what we know today as the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And they also, as we'll read, and we've already read, and we will read again a little later, they did not believe in angels or spirits. The Sadducees were also sympathizers with Rome, for they felt that the maintenance of the status quo would be to their advantage, while the Pharisees were silent protesters against Rome. These two groups made up the Sanhedrin, along with the chief priests and elders. So hopefully this helps set the stage a little bit and helps us understand some of the different players that are, are talked about in the narrative today. All right, back to verse 2. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. That escalated quickly. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. This is quite the defense on Paul's part, and a sharp defense at that. He is basically calling the high priest, Ananias, a hypocrite. He is like a whitewashed wall, or maybe what we would maybe more think of as like a whitewashed fence, where it appears all right on the outside, but on the inside, it's rotting away. The high priest was supposed to uphold the law, not encourage the law to be broken. And Paul was calling him out on this responsibility. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So there are several viewpoints that try to explain Paul's outburst, maybe, could we call it? And then his quick apology. So some scholars think that since Paul had been away from Jerusalem for such a long time, that perhaps he did not recognize Ananias. Or that possibly Ananias was not wearing the clothing that maybe would have signified his position as the high priest. And so it could have made it hard for Paul to point him out in the crowd. Still, other scholars believe that perhaps Paul had such horrible eyesight that he could not see the high priest. And others still believe that perhaps Paul was just simply being sarcastic. Now, since we can't read tone in scripture, we can't know for sure if the last explanation is 100% correct. But I'm going to pull together some pieces for us today and a few reasons why I believe this might be the most accurate reasoning. Paul would have known where the high priest would be seated in the Sanhedrin. Plus, in verse 1, it says that he looks directly at the Sanhedrin. So even if he had horrible vision, there probably would have been maybe some indication where the high priest was in this situation. Plus, since Ananias was not a nice guy and known to bribe people and abuse his power, I kind of doubt that maybe he would have just simply forgot to put on anything that would have signified him to have a special role above anyone else, any clothing that maybe would have made him stand out. Ananias tells the people around Paul 
to literally slap him on the face, which was against the law. And similar to our court system in America today, the accused was innocent until proven guilty. So it seems to me that Paul is passionately calling out Ananias for not representing his position well, since he declared an innocent man be slapped. Paul is not wrong to hold someone in authority accountable. However, he maybe could have taken a little bit of a different approach. This whole conversation got me thinking a little. I think sometimes we can be either like Paul or Ananias in this situation. Now remember, we aren't Paul. We learned that last week. But we too have probably maybe just a few times in our lives been known to use a snide or sarcastic remark to make our feelings known. Am I the only one? <laughs> now Paul does quickly apologize, and he is quoting Exodus 22:28 in the end of verse 5. But also, I think far too often we can be like Ananias by not representing our position as a son or a daughter of the God Most High very well with our words or our actions. Our actions matter. Our words matter. And they all have impact. This is why we need to choose all of them very carefully Relying on the Holy Spirit to equip us, to help us calm down when we're angry, or even to help us incorporate the simple act of like taking a deep breath before we say anything so that we can respond instead of react. All right, let's see what happens next in verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the other others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there's no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all these things. So remember our comparison between the Sadducees and the Pharisees that we just talked about a minute ago? We're seeing these differing views divide the assembly. And this division is going to eventually escalate into a violent dispute. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back into the barracks. So it feels like the Pharisees have taken advantage of Paul's words here and are using them to prove their own point. There were only a small number of the Sanhedrin who began to argue for Paul's release, claiming we find nothing wrong with this man. 
So we cannot assume automatically that this means that they are now accepting Paul's ministry among the Gentiles and his defense of the resurrection of Jesus, which were the very reasons why Paul was arrested in the first place. We read about the reason for his arrest in Acts 21 and verse 28, and then we'll read it next week in Acts 24, 5. So let's take a look at Acts 21, 28. It says, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Paul has done what Jesus commanded his disciples to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let's read that and see what Jesus told them. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul was a witness to all people everywhere he went about the truth of the gospel, the transforming grace that we are freely given because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Do you remember what Tim taught us two weeks ago and reminded us last week? It's a little quiz time. I'm a teacher, so I'm giving you a pop quiz. Um, We are saved by? Through? In? Very good. You all get A's. That's my favorite thing to give out. All right. And I would add all of this is for God's glory. Okay, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All for his glory. Paul is on mission. He is a witness even in the hardest and most dangerous of places. And even though the Pharisees used his words for their own benefit, twisting the truth, this did not stop Paul from boldly proclaiming the truth. And it did not stop him from being obedient to what God was calling him to do. All right, so things have gotten a little bit crazy here in our passage. The Sanhedrin is in the middle of a full-on violent dispute. And Paul is removed from the situation because the commander fears that he's going to be torn to pieces. Okay, that's not a pretty picture that we're dealing with right now. As believers, leaders, and ones who are called to be light in a dark, and broken world? Are we fighting to the point that others miss out on the truth of the gospel? Are we getting distracted from our witness and purpose just like the Sanhedrin became blind to their responsibility to fairly govern religious matters? Are arguments about things of this world distracting non-believers from even wanting to join us and come worship with us? What are we known for? What are we known for? Are we known for our grace and our humility and our love and our mercy? Or are we known for our arguments and our anger and our rejection of people who hold differing beliefs than us? 
Now we should, hear me, we should always, always point people to the truth. But we can do so in a way that reflects the love and the grace of our Heavenly Father. So that those who do not know Him yet will see His love lived out through us. Through our words and our actions. Because remember, our words and our actions matter. And we too are witnesses. And I also want to challenge us, what are, what are we known for here at COV? Are we known as a welcoming congregation that faithfully proclaims the truth of the gospel week after week and faithfully serves one another? Or do people join us and see a congregation of people only talking to their friends who come and sit and intake the word without serving? What are we known for? After Paul is taken back to the barracks, the following night, he receives some encouragement. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is the fourth of five visions that Paul received in Acts. We read about the others in chapters 16, 18, 22, and 27. But the Lord stood near Paul. Can we just pause for a moment and read in awe and wonder about this moment? The Lord stood near Paul and gave him encouragement. This reminds me of the encouragement and charge the Lord offers to Joshua in the book of Joshua. As Joshua is taking over leadership from Moses, the Lord reminds him to be strong and courageous. And he says this in Joshua 1.9, the Lord tells Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is bringing a similar encouragement to Paul, and he is showing up in a big way. Now we see the deep love and care of our God here. He came to encourage Paul, and he made him a promise, telling him that he must also testify in Rome. Basically, the Lord is assuring Paul that, one, his mission and witness are not over. And two, that his life would not end here. In other translations of this passage, the word testify is replaced with the word witness. The Lord is reminding Paul of his mission to be a witness to the power of the resurrection and the free gift of eternal life that is offered to all who bow a knee before the creator of the universe in submission to him as Lord and Savior of their lives. Jesus took our rightful place. He died the death that you and I deserve, and he defeated death by rising again. And if we find our identity in the finished work of Jesus, in his transforming work in our lives, then that can sanctify a sinner like you and me, then we share in the same responsibility to be a witness to his work in our lives through our words and our actions. What kind of a witness are we 
And what kind of a witness should we be? And do we have eyes to see and a heart and ears to hear how the Lord is showing up? The Lord is standing with Paul. And while we are not Paul, the Lord shows up in our lives in big ways. But are we noticing? Do we pause from the busyness long enough to praise him for the ways that he has answered prayer? Or to thank him for the ways that he has, has given us wisdom when we are seeking it? Or for the times that he opens up doors of opportunity for us to be a witness for him? Do we pause long enough? Do we notice? Do we have eyes to see the opportunities he provides for us to trust, follow, and obey him? Now, the only way that we are going to have eyes to see and ears to hear is if we have a relationship with him. And do you know how we have a relationship with him? We build it by spending time with him, by spending time in the word, by spending time in prayer so that we can know the truth and know the voice of our heavenly father. Just as Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I'm a sheep. Paul had a deeply personal relationship with our God. And he was willing to follow even into the darkest, scariest places. And he knew his shepherd's voice. Do we? All right. The plot of our story continues to thicken. Let's pick back up in verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there or gets here. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but I find it a little bit strange that the oath that they chose to take was that they were going to um, not eat or drink anything until they killed him. I mean, you think that if you're going to try and kill somebody, you might need the strength and energy that food and water might provide you. I mean, I personally don't know, but, you know, it seems logical, okay? But perhaps they felt so confident that they're going to kill Paul real quick, that they might not have to go very long without eating or drinking. But let me just say, even if they had succeeded in their plot to kill Paul, anyone who took the life of a Roman as a prisoner would risk facing death themselves. So, I mean, overall, this, it just doesn't seem like the best plan of attack. But don't worry, because the Lord is in control. Remember that promise that he made Paul in verse 11? We're going to pick it back up in verse 16. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul, 
Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring you this young man, this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? He said, some Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man with this warning. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. God used this young man whether he realized it or not. Somehow, which we aren't sure exactly how, and honestly, the how isn't the point, but somehow, Paul's nephew, which we also don't know very much about Paul's family, which also isn't the point, okay? So stick with me. Somehow, Paul's nephew hears about the plot to kill him. And this, as this young man gets word about this plot, he goes into action, okay? And you may be wondering, how did Paul's nephew also have access to him in prison? I mean, he's in prison. That doesn't make sense. But it was common practice, actually, in Rome, that Roman prisoners would be accessible to their family and friends so that they were, could bring them food and other amenities and things like that. So it does kind of make sense. But somehow, this young man hears about the plot, and he goes into action. Now, we don't know the exact age of this young man. Some guess that he might have been quite young since the commander takes him by the hand and, and drew him aside. But the reason why, why Paul's nephew knew and his age aren't what we need to focus on. God chose to use this young man, and he was willing to be used. He can use us too but are we willing? Paul's nephew witnessed to the truth about the plot against Paul. He was brave and he stood up for what was right and he showed confidence and trust in his uncle. Are we trusting the Lord as we live for witness, as witnesses for him? God was in complete and total control of the entire situation that Paul found himself in. Just like he is in control of every situation that we face in our lives. He was in total control. And God literally provided a way for his plan to have Paul go and testify in Rome to come to fruition the very next day after he stood by Paul and encouraged him. God provided a way by using Paul's nephew. You'll read about how that all happens next week, I promise. But all of these circumstances had to fall into place for Paul's life to be spared. But Paul did nothing. He was in prison. The Lord did all of this because the Lord was and still is in complete control. I think far too often we forget that the Lord's in control 
Or maybe more accurately, we don't want him to be in control. A desire for control in our own lives reveals a deeper issue of lacking trust and faith that the Lord's plan is perfect, that he will walk with us even through the darkest and scariest seasons of life. Paul knew the truth that the Lord was in control. He lived this truth. He understood the Lord was in control and would guide his steps and would walk with him even in his darkest of days. I know for myself, it can sometimes be easier to trust this truth when life is challenging. When I'm needing wisdom or when I'm, I'm facing a trial or, or trying to make a big decision in life. But what about when life is going just, just okay or great? I've been challenged to think about this um, this week. And this is the question that came to my mind. Am I a seasonal witness for the Lord? What I mean by this is life has its seasons. Some seasons of life are great. They're wonderful. And others are hard and treacherous. And still, some other seasons of life are, you know, just okay or pretty good. But am I only being a witness and trusting the Lord is in control when I feel out of control? Or when I'm amidst a trial? Or am I just as much of a witness on a day when things are going pretty great? Am I living out the call to be a light, a witness, and to point others to Jesus during any and all seasons of my life? Or am I being selective? Am I being a seasonal witness for the Lord? Just as Paul urged Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, it says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in viewing of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them uh, they, to get, yeah, sorry, they will gather around them a number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, just discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, Paul was encouraging Timothy, Timothy as a ministry leader in these verses. But I think that there's much to encourage us in these verses as well. People today are seeking out what their itching ears want to hear. They are turning from truth. They are ready and wanting to hear what they want to hear. They will seek it out. But we need to be ready in season and out of season. If you have submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a witness to his transforming work in your life. Are you ready? Are you willing? Or are you scared and timid? I know I can be scared and timid sometimes, worried about what other people will think. And I'm going to admit to you a way that I was scared and timid 
just three days ago. I have a coworker who uh, lost her grandfather this week, and we were texting back and forth. And in our text, text exchange, I took the easy way out. I used an empty phrase that is really pretty worldly acceptable by saying that my thoughts and prayers were with her family. What an empty statement. I had the opportunity to literally tell her, I will be praying for your family, and I have been. But I used the excuse of, oh, we're still getting to know each other. I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable. But let's be honest, I chickened out. And I don't want to do that. That's not the kind of heart and witness that I want to have. I want to be faithful to live out my faith, to talk about the fact that I am committed to this congregation and this church body, that God is moving and working in my life, and that he is real and he is active and he is faithful. And I need to be bold. I think sometimes we can resort back to I don't know about you, like, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, which, you know, none of my other friends had pastor dads. And that felt weird and different. And I feel like sometimes I can resort back to that 15-year-old little girl that's like, oh, it feels embarrassing and weird, and I don't want to be the weird one. But you know what? I follow a faithful God who has transformed my life, and I need to be a witness to his work in my life. I need to be willing to boldly proclaim what Jesus has done for me. Or, and at least be willing to be somewhat more vocal in my relationships. I'm not sure what type of a season you are in right now in life. Perhaps life's going pretty well right now. Or maybe you're walking through some really, really dark days that feel heavy and feel overwhelming. But wherever you are, I want to encourage you that the Lord is with you, that he is in control, and that he is good. There are lessons to learn throughout every single season of life. And there's truth to proclaim and a witness to be shared in any and all of those circumstances. We just have to have eyes to see and a willingness to be used and a desire to be a witness in all seasons. We must be willing to testify to the goodness of the Lord and to be intentional to share his truth with those around us and to be a witness to all he has done and all that he will do. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, that you are in complete and total control. God, that you are trustworthy and true. And God, we pray that as we go about our daily lives, Lord, that we would be willing to be witnesses no matter what season of life that we are in. God, that we would boldly proclaim the works that you have done because, God, we have not done any of it. It is all you. Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities to be a light in this dark, dark world. 
God, that we would be willing to be bold to, to talk about you, to invite people to join us at church, to talk about what you've done, or to simply just say, I'm praying for you, or can I pray for you? God, wherever you are calling us and leading us, may we be faithful to follow and be obedient as we testify to your work in our lives. In your name I pray, amen.